You're listening to an ACA podcast. So, my name is Jess Jordan Lang. I am the curator and convener at Writing Concepts. And um, I'm just going to introduce Michaela quickly, and then she's going to do Acknowledgement of Country and then give her talk. So, today's speaker is Michaela Saunders, who is a writer, teacher, and community researcher of mixed Korean Lebanese heritage. Today, she's going to speak about her experience as editor of the critically acclaimed This All Come Now the world's first anthology of Australian First Nations speculative fiction. And we are going to be doing, um, like, have a discussion later, so if you have any questions, please hold on to them until after the talk. Please welcome Michaela to the stage. Thank you. Thank you, Jasper. Jingiwala. Um, welcome to ACCA for this writing and concepts talk. My name is Michaela Saunders and I'm a Korean Lebanese writer who belongs to the Tweed Guru community. Um, I'm also the editor of This All Come Back Now, an anthology of First Nations speculative fiction and I'm delighted to have you all here for a discussion of the anthology. We're gathered here today on this beautiful place, Nam, which has always belonged to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and it always will. I pay respects as a guest here and promise to stay mindful of Bunjil's laws, as I've been taught to do. Boogle Bear to the crew community here, if anyone's here, um, especially to elders, uh, those who are still here and those who aren't, but whose work lives on through their legacies. Strong legacies um, in this community too. I have utmost respect for all the work they've done for their country, community and culture, despite the ongoing undermining of their sovereignty, which has never been ceded and never will be. Jingiri to any other blackfellas here today. Um, Bugawan, I'm grateful to be here in this beautiful building dedicated to art on this country full of stories. I'm grateful to you all for coming. So I'm really happy to be back with writing and concepts. Um, I gave a talk online in November 2020. Um, I was talking about my own writing then. But today I'm going to be talking about this very beautiful anthology that I edited, um, which I'm responsible for making, my name's on it, but I'm actually, I made it with the help of many, many other people. So, I might read the blurb. This All Come Back Now is the world's first anthology of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander speculative fiction. Written, curated, edited, and designed by blackfellas, for blackfellas, and about blackfellas. In these stories, this all come back for us. All those things that have been taken from us that we collectively mourn the loss of, or attempt to recover and revive, as well as all those things that we thought we'd gotten rid of that are always returning to haunt and hound us. Some of the writers in this anthology are summoning ancestral spirits from the past, while others are feeling around in the muck of daily living for their stories. Others still look straight down the barrel of potential futures, which always end up curving back around to hold us from behind. These stories are dazzling, imaginative and unsettling. And the anthology centres and celebrates communities and culture. And I envisioned it as a love letter to kin and country, to memory and to future thinking. Okay, now the spill's over. So 
This year, Writing Concepts Call Out asked for talks about the communal or collective creative projects. So the focus of my talk this evening will be about how this anthology was a collective undertaking and how I worked with others at different stages of the project. So from the very first conception of the anthology um, as, a, as a work in a community of practice, um, all the way through to publication and beyond, um, I tried to ensure that the project has been built with good relationality, which is the very stuff that all healthy communities are made of. I even wrote this about this in my introduction, uh, which is called Overture, uh, from page 12. In my experience, all the best projects are built on good relationality, which is what builds healthy communities. So I'm a total blow into this world. Um, I only started writing fiction and publishing a few years ago. I have no editing experience or training. Um, but I learned the basics from, you know, being part of other anthologies. I've had stories and essays in other projects. And um, I've had a range of experiences, from really amazing to pretty terrible. Um, and I wanted to emulate the great editors that I'd worked with and avoid doing what the bad ones did. I was also never managed a big project like this, only solo projects. Um, but even though I'd never edited or managed a big project, I drew on my skills from other experiences. So the main one being the fact that I grew up in an Aboriginal community uh, in the Tweed, and I learned firsthand how good communities work and how good relationships work from all that. I've also worked uh, with Aboriginal students for two decades, almost two decades next year that will be. Um, so I know a thing or two on being, um, guiding people firmly yet gently and trying to bring the best out of people. Um, and so, yeah, from my life experience, I really do believe that all good relationships, whether they're personal or professional, are based on honest, respectful, flowing communication. So I've tried to model this. So I first want to talk about how I got the project off the ground. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about pre-publication and then, you know, what happened once publication happened and beyond. Um, so first, getting the project off the ground. So over from 2017 to 2021, I was doing a Doctor of Arts degree in creative writing through the University of Sydney, and I was studying speculative fiction, First Nations speculative fiction, because I wanted to write my own. Um, I had never written my own before, and I learnt so much in those years. And through wanting to write my own, I sought out all of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander speculative fiction that had ever been written, and I could see a trend emerging. I could see that from our first um, spec fic no uh, novel in 1990, which was written by Uncle Sam Watson, um, the field started off really small and slow. So in the 90s, there was a few, and then in the 2013s, we started to... Um, publish a lot more, but in the last few years, we have published way more speculative fiction than has ever been published before. So I noticed this real like uptick, and I knew that the time was right. Um, so I pitched this project to University of Queensland Press, who I'd worked with before. I've had um, uh, stories in anthologies with them before. And they were pretty hesitant to back this because um, anthologies don't sell very well, they said. 
And I had another thing stacked against me, is that it's speculative fiction, and they don't normally publish speculative fiction. So they were a bit hesitant, but I'm really pushy, so I told them, you know, let's go. <laughs> so I applied for a round of OSCO funding, um, my first application. I envisioned it to be all futuristic stories, right? Um, I had, I got some writers on board who I'd worked with before, Ellen Van Nierven, Alison Whittaker, Hannah Donnelly, just name dropping there. Um, they supported it. I got some support letters, letters from uh, UQP, Aviva Tuffield, and my two thesis supervisors, Dr. Peter Minter and Vanessa Berry. Um, and I was rejected. So, but, you know, it was a blessing in disguise, actually, because it allowed me to refine my pitch and to rethink things. So around this time, I was also told by Ellen Van Nieven that they were going to be publishing a speculative fiction anthology of their own, but with Aboriginal and um, African writers, like a, a kind of a joint project. So, and their stories were going to be focused on the future. So I thought I might open mine up a bit and open up the parameters of speculative fiction to be, you know, ghost stories, horror stories, magic realism. So not just strictly based in the future. And it turned out to be a blessing because then I got the funding. Um, I got $10,000 from Australia Council and UQP matched it. So um, we had a pretty viable project. So then, um, I created a call for submissions. I wanted to have a really long lead time in it. A lot of calls for submissions are usually only like two months, three months at most. I had like four to five months because um, I know particularly with our writers, a lot of them, a lot of us have family commitments, community commitments, so I wanted to have a long lead time on that. And, you know, we're in a pandemic. I knew it was going to be really hectic. So I wanted this to be the best thing, you know, that I'd ever worked on. So I wanted to make those kind of conditions um, right for other people. I created an Instagram against all my better judgment. I'm a pretty private person. I don't like to be on social media. But it was so helpful to getting the word out. You know, so many people shared it. So many people um, were sharing it around their own networks. As I said, I'm a, I'm a blow into this um, world, so I don't know a lot of people. But uh, the response was incredible. Um, another thing I did was I was soliciting submissions via email. I sent out about 70 emails to Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander writers whose work I admired. And most of them didn't know who I was because I'm not, you know, I'm not anyone important. Um, and I'm really happy to say that quite a few of those writers are in this book. Um, even though so many were so busy and they just, you know, they couldn't do it or they maybe they didn't, they didn't write speculative fiction normally so they didn't really care about the project as much as I do. But I'm going to share a couple of anecdotes with three of the writers who I emailed. So... I mentioned earlier the first Aboriginal speculative fiction novel. Um, it was called The Kadaicha Sung from 1990, written by Uncle Sam Watson, who was an incredibly staunch Murray activist and author. Um, he passed away a few years ago, but I got in contact with his son, who's an incredible writer and poet. His name's Samuel Wagon Watson. And I told him about the anthology and I asked if we could include an extract of his dad's work. And he was wrapped and he asked his family and they were all really happy. So um, we have an extract in there from that, which was really important to me because I think if you're going to do something that's the first of its kind, you need to include everything that was, you know, that came before us. 
I'm really happy to say that Sam, his son, also has a story in here. So it's really special. He, he's got a ghost story in here. Um, so, yeah, it's lovely to have a father and son. Another person that I emailed was my favourite writer in the whole world, living or dead, is Alexis Wright. And I was terrified to email her. Um, I don't know why, she's so lovely. And she said, yes, yeah. so I've got an extract of the Swan book in here, which was written in 2013, and it's an incredible surrealist climate change dystopian um, future in, in her typically beautiful writing. And Archie Weller, who is an, uh, he's an amazing Noongar writer. He's, um, he wrote a speculative fiction novel in 1998, and it kind of flew under the radar, but I've read it a few times you know, in my studies, and I just thought it was really weird and fun. And I asked UQP if they had a contact for him, because, you know, he had a story in an anthology recently, and I thought they would know. Anyway, they said to me, um, no, he doesn't have a computer, he doesn't have an email, here's his postal address. So I wrote to him, snail mail, um, asked, told him about the anthology, asked him can we include an extract or if he had another story. And he writes back to me straight away and I get this letter from Archie Weller who, you know, I just really have admired for so long. And then he's, he's you know, he said yes, yes, and he's telling me all about his life. And then right at the end he said, I don't know why you're writing, here's my email address. <laughs> So, from <laughs> so that was all for nothing, but it's actually been really nice because we've been emailing back and forth ever since, um, and I think I owe him an email, actually. So, in keeping with the theme of this talk, it's been really great in building relationships with other blackfellas, other writers. Um, uh, you know, I, I belong to an incredibly staunch and beautiful community in the Tweed, and that, but there's also this um, Aboriginal literary community which I'm starting to become part of, and this has been really important for that. All right, let's move on now to a little bit about the editing and the curating of the, the, the anthology. So I read over 60 submissions for this anthology. Um, some of them just came in cold, others I solicited. But I was really surprised at how many came in because there's not a lot of our writers and even less are writing speculative fiction. I'm going to read a little bit from my intro. In the call for submissions, I guaranteed the cultural safety of contributors through my editorial guidance, and I strongly suspect that that's why such a flood of stories came in. I stipulated in the call for submissions that all writers would have creative control over their stories that I wouldn't try to make their voices sound white, and I'd protect their work from any other unnecessary meddling. Now, that's been really important to me as a writer because sometimes editors do try and do those things. So for some of the writers in this book, this is their first story that they've had published, and I wanted them to enjoy the process. Um, I wanted them to enjoy the publishing process and to want to keep doing it. I had to work with some writers whose work needed a lot more editing. Um, and I wanted to make sure they were prepared beforehand because I, I know that when I started doing this, I, you know, there was one anthology I had a story in and the editors were just so brutal and like really pedantic with things and I wasn't warned about that. And it was pretty jarring and it made me want to just not do it again. So I, yeah, I wanted to take that out of the equation. 
Um, and I wanted to do this all myself with the writers before handing the project over to UQP to do their copy editing. So again from my intro. A hands-off approach is attractive for some editors, perhaps seeming simpler when editing across cultures or not wanting to step on toes, but not for me. Rather than discarding every less developed story outright, I committed to nurturing work that showed potential through a collaborative editorial process. This was sometimes an intensive exercise, but it was always really rewarding once the story came out gleaming. And in this way, I was able to develop other uh, relationships with some of these writers too. Um, really lovely relationships. Now, about the flow of the stories or the order that they're in. So in keeping with the idea that this is a community, um, a community in this anthology, I wanted the order of the stories to create its own composition. I was thinking about how the stories would work with each other, using the analogy of a mixtape or a burnt CD. Again, from my intro. A good playlist will take the listener on a journey. The relationships between contiguous songs make sense and transitions are seamless. And in this way, short, disparate songs are strung together to create a unique, larger, longer composition. Open with a banger and close with a burner. This advice is sometimes promoted by editors of literary anthologies and curators of musical compilations alike. I didn't follow this adage strictly, but I didn't not follow it either. Instead, I sequence these stories in such a way that together they tell a bigger story. Each of the stories is in conversation with its neighbours, bound to each other by through lines of, of genre, character, setting, theme or trope. Now, artwork and design. So, this is the thing that really grabs people's eyes. Um, this was designed by Jess Johnson at Nangala Creative. So years ago, I saw her previous work with the Yarbin Festival in Sydney, and I just loved it so much. I thought, how does an artist get inside my head and like put everything that I love on the page? So I emailed her, and then we spoke on the phone and you know about this whole thing. And look, she was way too busy, and my budget was way too small, but she loved the idea. So God love her, she um, came on board and she just sent me that and she's like, oh, what do you think? And I just, yeah, I loved it. So that's that. And then um, we had Jenna Lee, who's a Larrakia artist. Um, she did the book design, so she took Jessica's work and she made the front cover and she did all the other design stuff. So she did the front um, and these little dingo um, motifs throughout as well. So, with the editor, the writers, the artist, and the designer, it's a totally 100% um, Blackfella run project, but we don't own the means of production yet. So, that was UQP. Now, um, I wrote an introduction to the anthology called Overture. Um, I wanted to be really thorough in introducing the anthology to the world, so I wrote this huge essay. I wanted to situate it as a first of its kind and relate it to other First Nations storytelling and also to the speculative fiction world. And I wanted to offer my thoughts on the genre, and I also wanted to talk about every single person's stories in here, which is what I did. I wanted to introduce them so that any reader, whether you know they're Aboriginal or they're from the other side of the world, they could have a frame with which to enter the stories because some of them are pretty weird and I've had some feedback saying that people don't really understand what's going on. 
So if any of you are interested in reading my intro, um, it's online now. The Sydney Review of Books just published it very kindly, um, and it's on their website. Now, I also dedicated the book. Um, you know, I, I thought of this book as a community, and I always thought of the reader as part of the community too. So, I dedicated it to weird mob everywhere and everyone, our brave and strange thinkers, feelers, lovers, warlords and healers, those who are dreaming up new ways to tell our stories and are pouring them back into the river of our collective culture for the benefit of all. So, we did all the edits, I got all the artwork, I did, my, I did all my job and then I had to let the project go and hand it over to the UQP and they, you know, um, Margot Lloyd was incredible, she did all the copy edits and they looked after all the rights and all the stuff that I have no idea about and I'm very grateful for them. Um, I was then asked if, you know, if we'd like to get somebody to read it and write a blurb for the book and I hadn't even thought of that but, um, UQP asked Associate Professor Janine Lane, who's an incredible Wiradjuri writer and scholar, and she was kind enough to read and blurb the anthology. She said, just a short paragraph. This all come back now, compiled and curated by Koori scholar and writer Michaela Saunders, lays bare the limits of Western rationalism and claims to objective knowledge. Western science and rationality become the objects of skepticism and ridicule for their attempts to discover what many have already found and known for millennia, like the continent of Australia. The singularity of binaries and notions of universal truths are savaged and dismantled through the power of local knowledges, parallel existences, life forms other than human, and alternative planes of being. In this all come back now, Saunders commits a radical act of subversion and intellectual sovereignty by transforming a genre that has defined Western attitudes toward race, colonialism and technology into a vehicle for First Nations continuance, resilience and resistance. And I was so blown away, as you can imagine, when you have such a clear and sharp mind reading um, what you're trying to do in that way, it's really a gift. And so I really see Janine as part of this project too. Um, actually, she loved it so much, she went to write a, a, a longer review of the anthology, and that's also on Sydney Review of Books, if you want to check that out. Okay, let's move on now. So, we've, I've done all the groundwork, we've done all the editing, we've done all the kind of getting the pieces in place. Um, it was opened up for pre-orders in December, it was. It was the beginning of December 2021. Um, UQP opened it up for pre-orders and it was published on May 1st, 2022, so three months ago. Um, we've been open for pre-orders for six months, so all up, that first print run was 3,000 copies and it sold out and went into reprint in the second week. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, I didn't really know what that meant, having never published before, but apparently it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, it's in its second print run now, and I don't really know how it's going, but um, it's, that's probably not the most important thing to me. The most important thing is all the feedback, you know, going out into the world. So, in terms of promo, we had an incredible book launch over at the Wheeler Centre. Um, we had a panel at Sydney Writers' Festival. We had another panel at Avid Reader in Brisbane. 
these panels, we try to get different contributors on board. So there's 21 contributors here. And, you know, while some couldn't be part of it, we tried to get a nice mix at, at different places. Um, I asked some questions. I got to ask some questions about these stories that I've read dozens of times and know inside out. I probably know them better than the writers do. I got to hear them read their stories, you know, breathe life into them with their own thoughts. Um, and I got to learn about the stories behind the stories, you know, and I found some really incredible connections, you know. Um, Jack Lattimore wrote a story uh, when he was, he had a wayward youth in the Tweed, which sounded very similar to my wayward youth in the Tweed. So there was all these connections here. And I also got to collect signatures. So everyone who I uh, got to speak to in real life, I got them to sign the book. I was also able to do um, an online event with Emerging Writers Festival. Um, so the thing with panels and, and writers festivals is they're pretty East Coast centric. So if you happen to live out in Broome or Darwin or wherever, you're not likely to get invited. So we were able to do something um, for those writers to come on board too. Um, I also, I think, yeah, once the submissions close, so we're going back months, I deactivated the Instagram, but I reactivated it when this was being published because I wanted to start sharing our good times and emailing, and I also emailed at everyone because not everyone's on Insta, um, to keep everyone in, informed of all the amazing reviews we were getting and the events that were coming up. So now that my job was done, um, I see the anthology as belonging to the wider world of blackfella literature, but also speculative fiction too. Watching everyone else read and enjoy it has been so beautiful now that it's out of my hands and watching them love it as much as I do, you know. I know it's not all in my head that way. Um, we've been getting rave reviews. It's incredibly special that we've had um, critics like Janine Lane, Declan Fry, Laura LaRosa and Bo Winden, who are all Aboriginal critics, read and enjoy it. But we've also had um, non-Aboriginal critics read and enjoy it too. We had Yasmin in The Conversation, um, Cheryl Ackle in The Weekender. Um, there was an international uh, fanzine called Nerds of a Feather who reviewed it recently and that was really incredible as well. So it's really nice to see that this has entered that wider conversation about speculative fiction and, and Aboriginal uh, work. All right, so... The anthology, um, as of Monday, it's been out in the world for three months, and I checked today, and it is on number two of UQ, UQP's bestseller list, just behind Evelyn Araluen's Drop Bear, um, and Evelyn has a story in here. Her story actually opens this, and the title of the story comes from Evelyn's, um, comes from Evelyn's story, and I'm just going to read a little bit about that. I was told that I should probably change the title because it's a bit hard to remember, and I get that now that I've um, done a few little talks about it. But I was really attached to This All Come Back Now, and this is why. So This All Come Back Now is a line taken from the opening story, Muyam, A Transgression by Evelyn Araluen, who's a Bundjalung um, poet and editor of Overland. Throughout her story of departures and returns, the spectral narrator speaks of herself coming back like falling star, or like scintillation, or like nothing. All manner of other things come back too. 
Waves will be coming back for their rivers, and dead creatures come back, bringing comfort. At the end of the story, as the narrator crosses a threshold she's resisted since the beginning, she announces, this all come back now, alluding to the singularity of thought and feeling that she's now become, at one with everything, right at the end of her consciousness. In this anthology, this all come back for us too. All those things that have been taken from us, that we collectively mourn the loss of, or attempt to recover and revive, as well as all the things that we thought we'd gotten rid of, that are always returning to haunt and hound us. Characters return, sometimes in different forms, and things are returned to characters. There are themes that come back through this book time and again. Family and other kin, old people and ancestors, government interference, corporate greed, the destruction of our lands and waters, the archive, technology, language, law, ghosts, hauntings, warm and deep belonging, and despairing alienation. This all come back now speaks to what Grace L. Dillon calls biscarbiang, returning to ourselves. Uh, that's an Anishinaabe word. And she says that in her anthology, Walking the Clouds, which also uh, inspired me to do this. This also speaks to our cultural conception of time as everywhere or all times at once. These are stories that take place outside the bounds of consensus reality, showcasing a variety of possible worlds, and they are all rooted in our ways of being, knowing, doing, or becoming. Some of the writers are summoning ancestral spirits from the past, while some are feeling around in the muck of daily living for their stories. I know I said that. Others are looking straight down to the barrel of potential futures, which always end up curving back around to hold us from behind. Not many of these stories are utopian, though our cheek and our humour shines through in even the grimmest and heaviest of stories. So, in closing my talk, um, I would do all this again in a heartbeat, heartbeat, maybe in a few years, maybe when we've got a bit more um, speculative fiction being published and, you know, there's a, there's a bigger field for it, but I'm really proud to have worked on it. Um, I really am happy with all the relationships I was able to either strengthen the existing relationships or begin with people I hadn't met before. Um, and of course, I love going out in the world and talking about it. I can talk about this forever because I just, I'm just so happy that I got to be part of it. Um, and I'll leave it there. So thank you. Booger one. Question. Um, I actually, I wouldn't do anything that I did here differently because even though I had, like, there was a few frustrating times, you know, obviously you've got this project with all these different moving parts. Everyone's got their own lives. They've got things. I'm harassing them. I'm asking them for stories and they've got kids to feed. And, um, yeah, so, so sometimes things were a bit frustrating. I was also, like, trying to submit my thesis and teaching, you know, just, there was just a lot on. I think, actually... Yeah, that's what I would do. I would probably cut back on all the other work so I could enjoy the process a lot more. Um, I really, I love learning things and mastering things and I love figuring out things on my own. Um, I had a wonderful publisher, UQP, who I could have asked, you know, all these things and picked their brains and I did. I asked some things but um, I just preferred to feel it out myself and I would, I think I'd still do that. Uh, next time, if I do this again, I don't know. I think I'm still too close to the project to 
maybe ask me in a year or so. Um, I might be sick of talking about it by then. No, I don't think I will. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm really happy with how everything turned out. Thank you. Can I, can I read a little bit for, about... Okay, so thank you for that question. Um, where am I? I know it's here because I wrote it. So this is just a little bit about, now, as I said, I'm a total blow-in, but a little bit about my and some of the other writers' experiences with the speculative fiction community or the speculative fiction world. Um, so over the last few years, we've seen a rising tide of un-Australian futurism anthologies, and the more, I, the more the merrier, I reckon. This is the way that nascent movements grow strong and interesting and that new ideas and approaches begin to unfurl. Until now, we'd yet to see an anthology of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander speculative fiction, written and edited entirely by us and about us and for us. Why in 2021 was this a world first? Well, over the years that I'd been studying Indigenous spec fic, I'd had countless conversations with people interested in my work. One question I'm always asked is, why isn't there much Indigenous spec fic being written? But there is, I would answer. We blackfellas love reading spec fic and writing our own. So a better question to ask is, why isn't there much Indigenous spec fic being published? Well, it is. It was just not being published in the places you expect. And often when we think about Aboriginal writing, it's a certain kind of Aboriginal writing. It's a, it's a very safe, palatable form of writing that anyone can access. Anecdotally, many, many of the First Nations spec fic writers I've spoken to have had their work embraced by mainstream literary publishers after being rejected by Australian spec fic publishers. Indeed, of all the stories in this anthology that had been previously published, around half, none of them came from traditional Australian spec fic publications. They were all first published in mainstream literary publications, and a few of them had even won lucrative literary prizes. To be fair, there aren't many Australian spec fic publishers, but those that do exist have historically not published much of our writing. Some might say that this is a matter of taste, as though taste is objective, and just a matter of style and aesthetics, but taste is judgment, and which determines the way we read, enjoy, and interpret stories, and this is always, always shaped by our worldviews, which are always cultural. Of the many spec fic stories about First Nations characters and cultures, the vast majority have been written by non-Indigenous writers and published through traditional Australian spec fic channels. It's gotten a little better recently, mostly, but there's still a long way to go. Considering that for most of its history, the Australian spec fic publishing industry has been hostile to our stories and indeed our presence, while mining our cultures and pillaging our spirituality to trade in tired themes and tropes. Australian and global spec fic prizes too have been historically averse to actual First Nations writers, but welcoming of non-Indigenous writers who win awards for biting our style and flogging our experiences for their storylines. This is still true at the time of writing. No wonder we feel hostile to the Australian spec fic community too. I don't say any of this lightly or pithily, or to provoke a controversy for the sake of the discourse. I'm saying this with my whole chest, hand on heart. I say this with the authority of someone who sought out and read every single Australian spec fic story that features at least one Aboriginal character. 
and I say this loud and clear, the vast majority of this characterization is no good, whether they're infantilizing or fetishizing or assimilating or demonizing us or some combination of these. Um, I won't go on. Actually, I will. One more. Traditionally, Australian specfic publishers have preferred fake palatable versions of our stories over the real deal. But this is no surprise as it mirrors the same proclivities of mainstream literature, which is, of course, is just a microcosm of this country at large and I'd argue in any, of, um, any kind of art practice as well. They want the nice stuff, the ochre, the opals, the stoicism, the spiritual purity, the creatures, the cosmology, the mystical shamans and evil sorcerers, the magical properties in our blood, the portals in our sacred sites. But nobody wants to reckon with the effects of state-sanctioned violence, of ecocidal policy, of genocide, of eugenics. And if this all sounds harsh, consider being me, an Aboriginal specfic fan. The rare times you see your people written into the genre, it is mostly by non-Indigenous authors most of who use us and our stories as plot devices or to play out their own colonial dreamtime fantasies. Okay, I'll leave it there. Anyway, I hope that did that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I could have uh, summed it, but I knew that I wrote exactly what you were asking. That's part of my intro, and that's available on the Sydney Review books. They published it like two weeks ago, so that's available to read, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's really nice. Um, is there any other? I think up the back, did you have a question? Hello. Hi. Okay, um, this also relates to this question this gentleman has said. That's one thing I would change, don't put too much in. Um, I remember there was a few, like a few of my first emails, I was just explaining everything and like all the really important stuff was just getting buried in my chatter because as you can see, I can talk underwater. Um, I would recommend that you just get it really clear in your head what you want to do and try and just write a very, very bare bones email. Just be friendly, introduce yourself, and the clearer you are about it, like, you know, and, and people can ask you questions later on if they want to clarify. Um, yeah, just do it. What's the worst they can do? Say no or just ignore your email? That happened to me a few times. But the best that can happen is you get to edit some, or collaborate with some of your favourite people and, and meet new people that you never even knew existed. So go for it. Hello. Yep. It's a good question. I get, I get it a lot in different contexts. Um, my, first, my first response is usually, so just to summarise, like you're asking like how to include like our cultural or our characters in the future because the other alternative is to just leave us out. Right. I get that, yeah. It's, it's a really hard question. Um, we've had a really hard history 
So it's got to be a hard, it's, you know, we're, we're deep in the muck of figuring it out at the moment. Um, I think to write Aboriginal characters well, I'll just start there with characters, you need to know Aboriginal people. And if you don't know Aboriginal people, you need to at least read our stories. And when I say our stories, I mean people who grew up Aboriginal, who are part of Aboriginal communities, who were deep in the politics and cultural stuff. Um, because Marsha Langton said that most Australians don't really relate to Aboriginal people, they relate to stories told by for former colonists, and I agree with that. So, yeah, um, I think to write Aboriginal characters well, you, you do need to know us. I don't think you have to be Aboriginal. I think you just have to have relationships with Aboriginal people. Because if you only have one Aboriginal friend or you had one Aboriginal student once, you're going to have a very narrow idea of what that is. And I say this for any marginalised or minoritised identity too. Um, as to the mechanics of it, how to do it, I... Something I have found really useful is there's so much writing about it at the moment, like coming out in the last few years. It's mostly pretty American-centric, um, but there's a lot of American writers and specfic writers too who are concerned with how to write the other well. And they're not saying don't do it, but they, they, they've got these kind of guidelines. And I would start there because I don't really know how to write the other because I've never really done it. Um, even, you know, when I write white characters, I grew up in a white society, so it's not other to me. Um, but I would definitely seek out people who've written about this, and there's been a lot of it, and some of it's going to conflict, but just, just keep reading, keep writing. Um, if you're able to get people to read it, and just to see how, you, how you're doing. Um, but I think if you come to these stories, if, if you come to writing with respect, and not as an extractive or exploitative exercise, I think you'll be all right, you know, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. No, I like that's a great question. Um, it hasn't. My relationship to the speculative is like. I say it's new, like it's officially formally new, but I've actually, when I think about it, I've loved speculative fiction like ever since I was little, and mostly through movies and um, music. You know, um, I was. I was asked these questions recently and it got me thinking, you know, I love the Terminator movies, I love the Mad Max movies, I loved all of those films that were set, you know, Conan, all those weird stories. So I've, I've had this long relationship with the speculative, even music, like um, really weird hip-hop worlds that are very sci-fi and, you know, weird, like, theatrical power metal that's very fantasy-based. Um, Dead Kennedys, very, you know... Uh, dystopian satire lyrics, you know, all these things. It, it, it's always been stuff that I've loved, but I've always wanted to, I think I've always yearned to have, like, an Aboriginal version of Mad Max or something like that. And this is why I started writing my own um, a few years ago, because I wanted it to exist. And in wanting to write my own and reading, I was seeing that other people were wanting a similar thing too. And it's been nice to see... It's been affirming to see that there are so many writers who have similar concerns as me, as a you know, as an Aboriginal writer. But there's also writers who just think about the world differently. They might be a bit more cynical than me, 
bit more optimistic, whatever. None of us are right or wrong. They're just stories, right? Um, but for me, the, my relationship to the speculative, I think, can be summed up by something that Professor Janine Lane said uh, in her review. Is she asked, are these stories really speculative? She prefers the term accumulative. So these are not futures that are far off and weird and, you know, um, out there. These are, these are the stories that are coming to meet us if we, go, you know, if we continue on our con current trajectory. So to me, my favourite speculative fiction is, yeah, we're thinking about what if, you know, give or take, what happens if we, um, you know, there's a story in here by Tima Ball who, you know, she meditates on an architectural apocalypse because she's got this background in, you know, urban planning. Um, and I, I love those stories. To me, they're not, we're not going and colonising other planets or, you know, doing a lot of things that speculative fiction's been concerned with. We're just thinking about what is coming to meet us if we keep going this way and if our people aren't listened to, you know, yeah. Hopefully that answered. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. That's a great question. Um, I think there are some writers in here who you should keep an eye out for because they are so witty and clever um, and I can't wait to see more of their work. Kayla Murray, who's a, um, he's a bardy man, he lives up in Darwin and he wrote an incredible bush horror story and he's working on a manuscript now. Samuel Wagon Watson, so Uncle Sam's son, is about to publish a, a book full of ghost stories. So through us talking about that, it inspired him to write a lot more, which is really nice. Um, John Morrissey, who wrote an absolutely brilliant, weird, cooked story in here. He's also got a manuscript coming. So I'm not sure if I'm answering, but basically there are writers in here who are going to go on and do great things there's writers in here that have done great things already but there's others who are coming up and um definitely read their stories in here if you want to get a taste of that because i think the future is really exciting for indigenous spec fig not just here but globally but you know we're kind of entering into that conversation as well um and yeah may there be many more to come I'd love to see other people edit anthologies too, you know. I don't want to be the, um, the I don't want to gatekeep it, you know. I'd, I'd love to see other people, you know, have a go at it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, so I got, I actually, um, I, I got rejected from Ozco first, but I actually applied to them again. So it wasn't, I just, I tweaked it because I, I was focused on the future and I also, when I tweaked it, I wanted to include like ghost stories, horror stories, other kinds of speculative fiction, not just the futuristic science fiction stuff. Um, and I'm really glad I did because then, you know, about half the stories in here wouldn't have fit in, you know. Um, I also didn't want to bite, I didn't want to cut Ellen's grass, so 
Ellen Van Even, who's an incredible writer, and um, they have a story in here too. They edited an anthology recently called Unlimited Futures, and I have a story in their anthology. So even though like our anthologies came out at the same time, we're not in this weird competition with each other, but I wanted to like differentiate it so that I wasn't kind of stepping on toes and yeah. Thank you everyone for coming. Just before um, we completely finish, I just want to say I'm going to um, I'm gonna make a like, kind of a video of this, like the talk's gonna be recorded and we're gonna get some slides and stuff. And yeah, so make sure to check out the Writing Concepts Vimeo page sometime within the next month. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>